Uh, my name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we have a little bit of an interesting uh, a weekend ahead of us, message ahead of us, and that is because uh, this weekend I was uh, given free reign to talk on whatever I wanted to talk on. We're sort of in between series right now, and if you've been here for a while, you know that's always a little bit dangerous because I always come up with some interesting things to talk about. And uh, for reasons that will become clear in a second, I've led us today to this passage in the book of First Peter. So if you've brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you to grab them right now and turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to find ourselves. And as you find your place in First Peter, um, I want to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I, I woke up on Tuesday morning, and uh, I found myself a, a little bit down. I found myself uh, a little bit sad. And the reason why is because Tuesday morning when I woke up, I, I did what I, I do practically every morning when I wake up. And the first thing that I do is I reach for my phone. And before I get out of bed, before my hit, feet hit the floor uh, to kind of wake up a little bit, I'll spend some time looking mainly at, at news websites in order to see what's, what's going on in the world. And the news that hit me on Tuesday morning, um, it wasn't all that uplifting. <laughs> it wasn't all that positive. It's nothing new. It's nothing that we haven't been dealing with over the course of the past 18 months. There were news stories I read about COVID and new strains of that and everything going on in the political realm and conflict and uh, divisiveness and that sort of thing. But for some reason on Tuesday morning, it just, it just hit me a little bit differently. And for a few brief moments as I was lying there in bed, there was almost like this, I don't know, almost like this wave of hopelessness that became, began to sort of uh, wash over me. And as I sat there and as I sort of tried to examine what exactly it was that was causing this hopelessness, there was this phrase that came to my mind. And that phrase was this, we're not going back. We're never going back. And what I mean by that, of course, is, you know, uh, ever since this whole thing started 18 months ago, uh, there is this hope that I have had, and in fact, I'd, I'd say it's stronger than that. There's this longing that I've had, and I'm sure many of you have had it as well. And, and this hope and this longing is that finally we get to a place where we went back to what life was like before all of this began. You know, isn't it funny, brothers and sisters, uh, at the beginning of, of 2020, over a year and a half ago, uh, there were things in our life that we complained about, right? There were things in our life that we didn't exactly like. But now we look back to the beginning of 2020, and, and didn't life seem so much simpler back then? Didn't life seem so much quainter back then? Remember the time before masks, the time before hand sanitizers, the time before those useless plexiglass dividers in restaurants that we have? Actually, to be honest with you, I like those plexiglass dividers because I'm an introvert and they provide some sense of protection. But wasn't life just a lot simpler back then? And ever since all of this started, there, there's just been, I've just been sort of holding my breath for that moment when finally things would, would go back to normal. And, and at the beginning of the summer, we almost got a taste of that, didn't we? But then this whole Delta variant hit and all the reaction to that and all the continued political stuff. And, and, and the realization that I had on Tuesday morning is just, it's never going back. Our world has changed in more ways than one. Our world has changed over the past 18 months. And although I don't doubt that things probably will get better, I don't think we're ever going exactly back to the way that things were. And so that's why as I went about my day on Tuesday, there was a question that I began to deliberate on. And that question was, okay, so if, if that's the case, then what do we do now? 
then how do we live? As followers of God, as, as people who have put our faith in Jesus, which I'm all going to assume for the moment, I'm going to assume that all of us are, as, as followers of God, what do we do? How do we adjust to a world that has changed so quickly in the span of relatively few amount of months? What do we do now? Well, was in thinking about that, I was, I was reminded of this passage in the book of 1 Peter. J- just so you know, men and women, the book of 1 Peter is a great book for where we are right now as Christians. In fact, if you're looking for a book to sort of read on your own this week, I would encourage you to spend some time in the book of 1 Peter. And the reason why the book of 1 Peter is such a great book for where we are right now is because the book of 1 Peter was originally written to a group of Christians like you and me who all of a sudden were experiencing a vastly different world than the one that they were used to. See, most scholars believe that the book of 1 Peter was originally written to a group of of pagans who had put their faith in Jesus. They had been raised in one faith, and then they decided to believe in Jesus. And along with their new faith in Jesus came all of these tremendous things. Yes, good things, but also along with their new faith in Jesus came this, just this profound season of disorientation. Uh, Overnight, practically, the, the world changed. Family members began to disown them. Former friends had become enemies. And many of them, for the first time in their life, they were beginning to face persecution. I don't think it's unrealistic to say that quite a few of these Christians, they lost their jobs right after becoming a Christian. And many of them probably had this realization that life is not going back to the way that it was. And so Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, he writes this letter to them to, in a sense, say, hey, I know everything is different. I know it's all changed. And so let me give you some guidance in how to navigate all of that. Let me give you some wisdom in how to adjust to all that has changed in your life. And today we're going to look at just one little passage in 1 Peter. It's just five verses. It's verses 13 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1. But in many ways, the passage we're looking at today, it forms the heart of this wisdom that Peter gives to his audience. And all that Peter says in this passage, I think it can be summarized in two very foundational, but two very important pieces of wisdom. And more than anything, I think this is what God was saying to me on Tuesday morning. How do we live in this new reality that we are living in? What do we do in this new world that has crept up on us? Well, I think what God said to me, and I think what God would say to all of us, is this. We need to be hopeful, and we need to be holy. We need to be hopeful, we need to be holy. And I really think those are our marching orders. Those are our directives for this new world in which we are living. And so we're going to spend some time today looking at each of these. And we're going to begin with the first thing first. Peter says this. He says, we need to be hopeful. Look with me at verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes this. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now I want you to hold on to that phrase because we'll come back to it in a little bit. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, and here's the key, he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And you see it right there in the middle of that verse. Set your hope, Peter says. Set your hope. And I want to let you know that that call that Peter gives us to to hope in that particular phrase, it's more than just a call. It, It is a command. Uh, there's a certain uh, a form that words can take on in the Greek language that Peter is writing in that indicate that something is being commanded of an audience, something is being ordered of an audience. And the Greek word that is translated hope there, it takes on that particular form. 
In other words, what that means is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter is not rather sheepishly or timidly saying to us, hey, it may be nice if every once in a while as a Christian you tried to have some hope. No, that's not what Peter is doing. What Peter is doing in verse 13 is he's doing what my dad used to do when I was a teenager. And he had a really important piece of advice that he wanted to get to me. What Peter is doing is he's he's putting his hand on all of our shoulders, as it were. And he's looking at us right in the eye. And he's saying to us with all seriousness, I am telling you as a Christian, as a child of God, I am commanding you, I am ordering you, you need to have hope. You need to be filled with hope. That's what Peter is doing here. But of course that raises a question for us, right? And that is, well, how in the world can we have hope? With all that is going on around us today, with COVID, with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the fear that we live in these days of of another attack like that, with all that's going on in our political realm, with all that's going on in, in the social realm, I mean, how in the world can we have hope in our day and age? Well, I want to let you know something. If we think it's difficult to have hope as Christians in the 21st century, it was much more difficult in the first century. If we think the world is in disarray today, the world was in much more disarray back when this letter was first written. Indeed, some of the Christians that Peter is writing to, they're only a couple of years away from being literally lit on fire and burned as human torches in the city of Rome, all because of their faith in Jesus. And it's clear in this letter that Peter knows that that sort of persecution is going to happen. And yet, even still, he says to these Christians, I'm commanding you, I'm ordering you, be filled with hope. So how in the world can we have hope with all that is going on around us today? Well, that's exactly it. Peter makes it clear that our hope as Christians is not to be found in what is going on around us. In fact, our hope as Christians, Peter makes it clear, is not to be found in anything in this world. And that's what you see as you continue on. Again, middle of verse 13. Peter writes this. He says, set your hope, or more literally there, he says, hope completely. In other words, every ounce of your hope as a Christian is to be focused on one thing and one thing only. And what is that? Is it government? Is it vaccine mandates? Is it recall elections? No, what does he say? He says, hope completely on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And there we see it. According to Peter there, there is one thing and one thing only that is to be the object of our hope here on this earth. And what is it? It's Jesus. And it's a very specific incident involving Jesus. It's his second coming. It's that moment when he returns to this earth and he sets up his throne here on this earth and he brings with him, as Peter says here, the grace and the salvation and the deliverance from sin and suffering and evil and death that he will establish when he comes here to this earth. And that is where our hope is to be focused as a Christian. And friends, church, if there is one thing that I pray that the past 18 months have showed us, is I pray that it showed us how pointless it is to put our hope in anything other than Jesus. How foolish it is to put our hope in any of the affairs of this life. 
You know, like many of you, I, I have been watching with a lot of interest um, all that's going on in Texas these days. And all that's going on with this uh, abortion law that was passed. And I've especially been watching the reaction, and more specifically, I've been watching the, the hostile reaction that people have had to a law that, that in my belief, is, is just all about protecting life. It's about protecting the life of the most defenseless and vulnerable in our world, and that's babies growing in their mother's womb. And the hostile reaction to this law has just been, I mean, it's just been off the charts. I don't know if you heard this story. There was a story of a, of a CEO of a company who all he did was, was he just tweeted supported this law. All he did is he used this law as an opportunity to say, hey, I, I want to come out for the first time and declare that I'm, I'm pro-life and, and I'm in support of this law. Well, within about two days of tweeting support for this law, you know what happened to that CEO? He was forced to resign from his company because the backlash against him was so great. Just for stating his belief. And that's just the day and age in which we're living. And as I read that story, I couldn't help but think of another passage in our Bible. Uh, you can turn there if you want, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll also have this on the screen in a second. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he is talking about the end of time. He's talking about the, the time right before Jesus returns to this earth. I believe he's talking about the last seven years here on this earth. One of the things that I believe the Bible teaches is all of history is going to culminate in a final seven-year period. And, and Paul here is talking about that time period. And listen to what Paul says about that time period. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Listen to that. There will be terrible times in the last days. And why is it going to be terrible? Paul tells us, verse 2, it's going to be terrible because people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now what a list, right? And I don't know about you, but I look at that list and I go, Paul is, Paul's describing our day and age. He's describing what's going on around us right now, but men and women, he's not describing our day and age. He's describing the very end of time. And if you took my Revelation class last summer, you know that we're headed to the end of time, but we're not there yet. Though the thunderstorm on Wednesday, that kind of messed me up a little bit. But we're not, we're not quite there yet. So you know what Paul is saying here? What he's telling us in this passage? He's saying that as bad as things are right now, as ungrateful and as unloving and as unforgiving and as conceited and as proud and as rash as people are right now, he's saying you better hang on to your hats and glasses because it's going to get even worse than this. Now how's that for an encouraging word on a Saturday night? Some of you are going, I just came here for the free air conditioning. What in the world is going on here? It's not encouraging, but it's true. And we need to realize it. Because returning back to our passage in 1 Peter, that's the reason why Peter says it does not make any sense to put any ounce of hope in anything in this world. Because it's going to get worse before it gets better. To, to hope in this world is like to hope in a, in a dumpster fire. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. So our hope is not found in this life. And that's the first thing I want to impress upon you this evening, because honestly, I, I need to impress it upon myself. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a weird individual. And all God's people said, amen. 
And I'm a weird individual for, for a, weird, a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I'm, I'm sort of a weird individual is, is I actually sort of like it when I'm stuck in traffic on the freeway. And some of you are going, whoa, you have gone too far, Chris. But let me explain myself. I, I like it in one specific scenario. I, I like it when, when I learn that the reason for the traffic is about a mile ahead of me, there's some minor fender bender. Nothing serious, no one injured, nothing like that. Just some minor little fender bender that, that's over on the side of the road. And the reason I like that is because I know once I get to that little fender bender, what's going to happen? The whole freeway is going to open up, right? There's going to be no traffic for miles. And I love that feeling, especially on the 55 South in the morning. I love that feeling. Well, the Bible tells us that is sort of the perspective we're to take towards the bad news in this life. That when we turn on the TV or when we look at our phone and we see the bad news that's going on around us right now, yes, absolutely we feel sad for what people are going through. Yes, we mourn with those who mourn. Yes, we feel righteous anger at what is going on in our world right now. But those bad pieces of news, they're also sort of blessings in disguise. Because they remind us that this world is not our home. And they remind us that something better is coming. They remind us that there is coming a day when our faith will be made side and those clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend and finally it will be well with our soul. And everything in this life, the Bible tells us, every second of this life is to be lived in eager anticipation of that moment. And so, Friends Church, Chris Ward, (laughs) I'm telling us all that we can have hope. It's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. Jesus is coming. He's going to set things right. And that is where our hope is found. And that's the first thing that Peter tells us here. I was anticipating moments of claps several times earlier in the message. I wasn't really anticipating it there, just so you know, okay? But that's okay. That's okay. I know that about Saturday night. That's okay. That's the first thing that Peter tells us. But that being said, that does not uh, deny the reality of the fact that it will get worse on this earth before it gets better. And as the world slips more into the moral decay that that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Peter tells us that there is another responsibility that we have as God's people. And that is that not only are we to be hopeful, but we're also to be holy. We're to be holy. Pick it up with me in verse 14 of 1 Peter 1. Peter writes this. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And you see it there in verse 16. Peter tells us, and actually Peter's just quoting God here. So God himself is saying, you need to be holy. You need to be holy. And just so you know, holiness, it it pervades this particular passage. Back in verse 13, when Peter tells us that we need to have minds that are alert and fully sober, that's a part of what it means to be holy. In verse 14, when Peter says that we are to be obedient children and not conform to the evil desires that we once had, that's a part of what it means to be holy. 
And then in verse 17, when he talks about God who judges each person's work impartially, and he talks about living our time here in reverent fear, that is also a part of what it means to be holy. Holiness is all over this, this chapter. And what does it mean to be holy? Well, there are a lot of definitions out there, but my favorite definition is this. To be holy simply means to be different. It means to be different. It means to be different from the world around us. That's what it means to be holy. You know, going back to that list in 2 Timothy chapter 3, why do the people of this world, why do they embrace all those things that Paul mentioned in that list? Why do people embrace arrogance and pride and greed and, 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 and slander, slanderness? I don't know if that's a word, slander and that sort of thing. Why do people embrace all those things? Well, the answer is simple. It's because the world out there has no standard of morality. The world out there has no standard of right and wrong. It just sort of makes things up as it goes along. And that's what we're seeing around us today. That's why things are always changing. That's why things that were once considered evil are now considered good. And that's why things that were once considered good are, is now considered evil. There's no foundation upon which the world rests. Well, you and I were different. We don't make up our own standards of morality. No, our foundation is found in God and it's found in the character of God as He has revealed Himself in His Word. And so, as the world gets further and further away from God and His Word, which is what we're seeing right now, as the world around us changes, but as we stay the same, anchored to God and anchored to His Word, increasingly we're going to look different than the world around us. And that's what it means to be holy. To be holy is to be different. Jerry Bridges in his classic work, The Pursuit of Holiness, he described holiness as this. Holiness means separation to God and the conduct befitting those so separated, morally blameless, separated from sin. Separation to God and the conduct befitting those so separated. I honestly think the best word for, for holiness actually in this passage to illustrate holiness is the word foreigners in verse 17. When Peter says that we are to live our time as foreigners here in reverent fear, and the Greek word that is translated foreigners there, it conveys the sense of visiting a place that you're not from. That's why when I read that definition, I really thought of the word tourist. And I think you could almost translate verse 17 this way, live out your time as tourists here in reverent fear. And I love that image of tourists because you can, you can always point out a tourist, can't you? At a theme park, at a beach, you always know who the tourists are because they're all dressed different. They have fanny packs, they have weird sunglasses and hats. The men especially, they have shorts that are too short. Have you noticed that? Tourists always have shorts that are too short, right? The, 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 the tourists always stand out. That's what you and I are called to do in this world. We're called to stand out. But our standing out is not by our dress, though it can include that. But our standing out is by the choices that we make, by the way that we choose to live our lives. And honestly, that is one of my biggest concerns about God's people these days. And it's a trend that I'm seeing increasing, uh, increasingly over the past several years. And that trend is this. It just seems to me that God's people these days, they're, they're forgetting about holiness. We're forgetting about the importance of living differently and distinctly from the world around us. And you see it in so many different places. You see it in the number of Christians these days who are, you know, sleeping and moving in with their boyfriends or girlfriends before they get married. 
You see it in the number of Christians these days who are very quickly abandoning the Bible's teaching on sex and sexuality and adopting that as something completely opposed to what the Bible teaches. And you see it in the number of Christians these days who are shunning uh, self-control and wearing self-indulgence almost as like a badge all in the name of, of freedom. You know, there used to be a time, men and women, when, when God's people were known as much as anything for our pursuit of holiness. We were known for our desire to, to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. And I'm not sure we're known as that anymore. And that is a problem. I was reminded this past week of 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, where John writes this. He says, We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And what John says in that passage is said more succinctly by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 14, when he says this, he says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And both of those passages are saying the same thing. They're saying that if we call ourselves a Christian, but if there is not a desire, a drive within us to obey Jesus, if we call ourselves a Christian, but there is not a desire to to live holy lives, we have to question whether or not we have really put our faith in Jesus. And this is something especially that, that, that I would urge the younger generation in our church towards. You know, I'm, I'm noticing among the younger generation right now a passion for Jesus unlike anything I've ever seen before, and that's amazing. And I'm noticing a heart for prayer and a heart for worship and a compassion for other people unlike anything I've ever seen before, and that's also amazing. But if I could urge those of you of a younger generation in our church towards one thing, I would urge you to develop an equally passionate heart for holiness for purity, for living differently and distinctly from your friends, from your peers, from your co-workers. In fact, I'd urge all of us towards that. Because here's the reality. Jesus is returning to this earth. God is returning to this earth. And yes, the Bible says that Jesus is our friend and the Bible says that God is our father. But the Bible also says that, that Jesus is our boss. He is our king and God is our judge. And when the boss returns, we don't want to be caught with our feet on the table. We don't want to be caught slacking off. Because the Bible makes it clear that when the boss returns, we're going to have to tell him what we've been doing while he was gone. This is exactly what Peter says in verse 17. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And what Peter is saying there is he's saying, don't allow your familiarity with God as father to cause you to forget that God is also our judge. And one day we're going to have to stand before him. And we're going to have to give an account of our lives. And I can imagine this is a new teaching for some people because it's not taught very much in the church these days, but we find it all throughout the Bible. Yes, the Bible makes it clear we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are not saved by what we do. But the Bible also makes it clear that God's grace is not a license for us to do whatever we want to do. Because one day we are going to have to stand before God. And the books of our lives are going to be open. And we're going to have to answer for the choices that we have made in this life. As I said, you see it all throughout the Bible. Romans 14, 12. 
So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And here's Jesus speaking, Matthew 12.36, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. This is why holiness is so important. Because we have to answer to God. And if this has the effect of striking a little bit of fear in the hearts of some of us, that's exactly the reaction that it's supposed to have. That's what Peter says at the end of verse 17. We are to live our lives in reverent fear. And I was thinking this past week, if you were to ask me to diagnose what's wrong with the world today, I would tie it to that right there. Why did the Taliban do what they did in Afghanistan? Why are some of our politicians making the choices that they're making these days? Why are some Christians, why are some pastors making the choices that they're making these days? We've lost the fear of God. In fact, these days it seems like people are fearing anything but God. Well, I just want to make it clear that the Bible makes it clear. That either we fear God during our time here on this earth, or we will, in a sense, fear God for eternity in hell. It's not a popular teaching. But as I said, we're not called to be popular. We're called to be different. And that's why, as, as we begin to draw things to a close here today, I want to leave you with sort of a few summary statements of all that I've said and, and, and what Peter has said. How do we live in light of this changing world in in which we are? Here's a few things to guide us. The first one is this. We're to care about this world, but we're not to put our hope in it. We're to care about this world, but we're not to put our hope in it. You know, even though the Bible does describe this world at times as like a dumpster fire, (laughs) the Bible calls us to actually care about this dumpster fire. And the Bible calls us to to do what we can to to put out the fire. We are to do what we can to establish God's justice and God's righteousness here on this earth. We are to care about this world. And I want to remind you, this week we have an incredible opportunity to show our care for this world. Because we have an election this week. And we have an opportunity to do something that Peter's audience would have only dreamed of in his day and age. We get to have a say in who our leaders are. I mean, that's incredible. And so I absolutely believe that God would have us vote in this upcoming election. And he would have us vote for the candidate who we believe is going to govern the most according to godly principles, who's going to govern according to righteousness and govern according to justice. We are to care about this world, and that's one way that we show that we care about it. But at the same time, we don't put our hope in it. My hope is not tied to what happens on Tuesday. Because I know that what, no matter what happens on Tuesday, verse 13 of 1 Peter 1 is still going to happen. Jesus is still going to return, and that is where my hope is found. It's like that old hymn that we used to sing. Remember that old hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than Tuesday election night success. No, that's not how it goes. How does it go? <laughs> to hear some Christians today, you would think that's how it goes. How does it go? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I got to finish it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
We care about this world, but we don't put our hope in it. Second thing is this. We love the people of this world, but we don't act like them. We love the people of this world, but we don't act like them. That list in 2 Timothy 3, you know what our responsibility is to those people? We're to love them. They are a mission field. We are to do what we can to rescue them from the captivity of Satan and to bring them into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. We are to love them. And one of the best ways that we love them is to live differently from them and to show them a different way of living. When they are arrogant, we are humble. When they are angry, we are patient. When they practice self-indulgence, we practice self-control. Where they are greedy, we are generous. And when they curse us, you know what we do? We pray and we bless them. Being holy doesn't mean to be isolated from this world. No, we wade knee deep in this world because we want to rescue the people of this world. But we don't allow ourselves to be influenced by them. Is there an area of your life where you're looking too much like a a native and not enough like a foreigner, not enough like a tourist? Change that this week. Be holy because God is holy. So that's the second thing. And the final thing simply is this. When in doubt, we look to Jesus. When in doubt, we look to Jesus. Two things I'm talking about today, hope and holiness. We, we cannot do it without Jesus. And I don't know about you, but here's what I found in my own life. The closer that I get to Jesus, the more hope that I have and the more holiness that I practice. The further away in this life I get from Jesus, the less hope that I have and the less holiness that I practice. It's as simple as that. That's why I think this series that we're doing is is so important. The series that we're starting next week because it is, it's just all about Jesus. And it's all about learning practices so that we can draw closer to him and, and connect to him. And so I reiterate what Drew said earlier. If you are not already in a group, you need to be in a group to go through this study. If you're in a life group, but your life group is not planning to go through this study, please change your mind. Go through this study because we all need to lean into Jesus. And that's what this whole study is all about. And that's what leads us to our call to prayer here as we close. Uh, Like we've been doing in recent months, we have crosses all throughout the worship center. And at these crosses, we're going to have people who during this final song, they would love to pray for you. And you can receive prayer for anything that you want to receive prayer for. But the word that came to my mind this past week was just the word reset. And maybe there's some of you that you feel in your relationship with Jesus, you know what, I have gotten sort of far away from him. And I need to hit the reset button. I need to start again in my relationship with Jesus. I need to draw closer to him. And I want to let you know that whenever you say that, Jesus stands with open arms and he is so excited to welcome us back. And we would love to pray that over you. We'd love to pray God's grace. We'd love to pray God's forgiveness. We'd love to pray God's hope. We'd love to pray God's holiness for you in this time. And so please, 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 if you, if you feel led, we, we would love to receive you and pray for you at these crosses. But as we close our time together right now, I, I'd love for us to just all pray together. So would you do me a favor? Would you, would you stand with me? And with your heads bowed and your eyes, eyes closed, I, I want to re, re, uh, read this very familiar uh, passage to all of you that came to my mind earlier today. 
It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Father, as I look at the first two words, or two words in the first verse of that passage, God, as I look at the words weary and burden, Father, I can't help but think of where many people are these days, Lord. In fact, in so many ways, the whole world right now is weary and it is burdened. And God, so much of that comes from um, our focus truly on, on just what's going on around us. And God, I know there's no way to, to ignore the circumstances of this life. Obviously, we have to know them. We have to be aware of them, God, in, in order to function in this life, Lord. But in everything we do, your word tells us that there is, there is just this light that is above us that we always see, God. And that is the knowledge of your son, Jesus, and his return, and all that he's going to bring with him. And so, God, I pray right now for those especially in this room who come here and are weary and are burdened, God. I, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ, you would, you would speak just hope over them right now, God. You would lift their heads above the clouds of the circumstances of their life and you would let them see that you got it all figured out and, and it's going to be even better than okay, Father. And I pray that that truth would just sink deep within them, God. And then I pray, Father, that uh, as, as we go out into this world in just a moment, God, we would recognize the call that you have placed on us to be holy as you are holy. And God, Jesus says in that passage, he says that, you're, that, that, the, that the burden he gives us, is, it's not heavy, it's light. And God, that's the truth. When we obey your word, when we do what you want us to do, God, it's not burdensome. It, it leads to the most joy. It leads to the best possible life here on this earth, God. Satan has tricked us into thinking that, that unholiness is, is what brings joy and satisfaction, and it just doesn't, God. So I pray that as we take steps towards holiness this week, not in our own power, but in the power you give us through your Holy Spirit, God, we would experience the joy, we would experience the fulfillment, we would experience the blessing that comes from that. And God, I pray that at any time that we're stuck, Lord, that we don't know where to go or what to do or we feel overwhelmed, Father, we would just turn to your son, Jesus, and we would praise him, and we would experience... Uh, we would experience his presence and his closeness in our lives, Father. And so, God, I pray in this final time of worship here, God, I just pray for a sense of knowledge of your presence here in this room, Lord. I pray that you would minister to us, you would work in us the way that you desire in this time, Father. And I pray that you would accept these praises as just a gift of, of our heart of gratitude for who you are and for what you have done. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.